has definitely been an eventful couple of days. There was uh, the start of the barn raise, uh, no hiccups, uh, and in general, the launch of anything with no hiccups is a success. Uh, separately, it was very exciting to see that whole thing uh, go live and receive a flurry of purchases in the very first few minutes and uh, the first hour, and it was just, I mean, it was quite exhilarating. Uh, at least on my end, it was. And I think uh, based on all the chatter in the, in the Discord, it seemed like uh, other people felt a similar amount of excitement. So that was awesome. And, you know, one thing I do want to comment on is there was a lot of questions about uh, the, the money that had been hard committed and when that was going to come in, how much of it had come in, whether it's come in or not. And on that front, I think this is a uh, push has come to shove on this uncomfortable position that we've been in as sort of like a mediator between invested or interested capital uh, and the community, which is in general a role that we, we definitely don't want to have uh, at all. Uh, and so while we've, we've been the main communicator with capital and with the community through these calls and DAO meetings, there has been some definitely some tension around the expectation that uh, you know, we know exactly what's happening with all of the capital in real time and that we're able to communicate it to the community in real time and both of which are, are not realistic. And to that end, I think in general, this is a lesson for us that uh, that's not a, a position that really exists in a, in a half role, right? I've either you're either, I mean, the, the questions are, are legitimate and it's just one, the type of thing that we're, we're not in the position to answer them. And so to, you know, the only thing that we've really been able to, to know is how much capital is committed, uh, not when it's going to come in per se or how much of it has come in. And therefore, it's difficult to, to serve this weird communicator role with capital in the community. And so want to start this off by saying... There's no additional information that we have to share at this point uh, other than that the 10% hard commitment remains committed. Still, I'm unclear on how much of that 10% has been deployed uh, thus far. And other than that, we don't really have any anything to say on the capital front. And going forward, don't intend to have anything to say. Uh, don't expect to have anything to say on the capital front. So the hope is that the on-chain process will speak for itself. Uh, we will ensure that the 10% that we uh, knew was coming in does come in. Uh, and other than that, going forward, we hope to never have to talk about uh, capital commitments with the community again. That's just a, a horribly painful process. So uh, to some extent, recognize it was just the position we were thrown into. Uh, it's one we we will try very hard to avoid going forward, but uh, it is what it is. So that's that's the starting point. Uh, I think now that the obviously this is class, so any questions people have are welcome. Uh, but think that the now that the 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 barn raise is live and we're kind of looking towards the future, it, it'd be much more interesting to talk about uh, what beans what the future looks like as opposed to any. I mean, we'll talk about whatever, but we're, we've already started to really shift our attention and focus towards 
the future now that the barn race is live and it's it's on to the next one here so there's a lot of stuff to get done a lot of conversations and debate to be had about uh implementation details and uh endless minor changes and potential improvements and uh the article that we put out earlier this week uh, or maybe over the weekend speaks to that and we're very excited so eager to to get moving with all of you and excited that the barn race is a major step in that direction so normally don't like to start class with a long monologue but this has been such a substantive couple days wanted to address a couple things and otherwise happy to address any and all questions uh on people's minds yeah i'm very excited for the future too all very reasonable comments and questions in discord yesterday it's kind of an awkward position you're in but i for one am glad uh Publius is not tweeting, deploying more capital, steady lads. So with that, we can get into some questions. Uh, for Mr. Manifold, uh, he says, will users be able to swap farmable beans and or harvestable beans for fertilizer via silo swap? So I don't know what you mean by silo swap uh, per se, but the concept is that the farm functionality should be uh, included in Beanstalk upon restart. It was included in the code that was audited uh, or sent, sent for audit. And therefore, people would be able to harvest uh, their beans. And uh, well, so, so there's really two questions, farmable beans or harvestable beans. So farmable, farmable beans are in the silo. Those you would not be able to swap for fertilizer because you need to withdraw them from the silo, whereas harvestable beans you could, uh, in a single transaction using the farm functionality, sell the harvestable beans into, uh, into USDC effectively and then to add USDC for fertilizer. So that you could do. Makes sense. I saw a question um, from a farmer named Walkabout a few days ago in the Discord. Um, they were asking, I don't get why a stock should become tradable and not stay a soulbound token as it is. Could someone explain why it should be otherwise? Can you talk about some of the benefits of uh, making stock liquid? Sure. So, frankly, don't necessarily know if there's a right answer on this one. At the moment, now to think through some of the 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 benefits, perhaps the most obvious benefit is that you have this theoretical limit in the amount of liquidity that can trade against beans, uh, in the sense that you can't have more than a dollar of value trading against a bean, or it's worth more than a dollar. And maybe you could define some like some even more efficient like stable swap curve that gets around that but currently that doesn't really exist so the concept is in order to have more value trading against beans to make them even more liquid to trading against bean stock such that you can when when there's a sell-off when there's a flight to liquidity people can can exit uh the question is how much liquidity is there and in practice having stock liquid and trading against an exogenous asset like Ethereum makes it such that it's possible that the liquidity to bean supply ratio exceeds 100%. 
So that's the benefit, the most obvious benefit from having liquid stock. Now, there's a lot, frankly, given the exploit, the, there needs to be a lot more focus on the long-term sustainable governance model and what that looks like. And Vitalik's points about soulbound tokens are interesting and, and definitely warrant some comments. So uh, I think this will be an, an, a discussion that is getting started really right now, now that the barn raise is live and the focus can now shift towards the future, what, what that governance actually looks like. I know it hasn't been your focus up to this point, but do you have any additional thoughts on, on what on-chain governance in Beanstalk could like in the look like in the future? So there's a lot of different parts of governance, right? And the, the main question is what needs to be included in on-chain governance, what can be done through off-chain governance, and in particular, what are the what is the time over which certain things should be implemented? So if you're going to change the protocol, should it be a change? What, what should be changeable instantly? Uh, what should be changeable over a period of time? For example, if you have an Oracle, if Beanstalk is determining the price of a bean based on the USDC ETH pool on Uniswap V2, for example, if that pool got compromised or for some reason was fucked up uh, such that it was no longer a good source of the price of Ethereum in dollars, uh, there needs to be some way to act and respond to that quickly. On the other hand, though, major changes to the protocol probably don't need to be uh, executed and implemented in a fashion where as soon as the vote passes, the code can be changed and, and implemented, such that the, there's perhaps an opportunity for people to leave the system before the changes are made. For example, there's a lot of different... There's a lot of different things that can be done from an optimization perspective to make governance both very flexible and accommodating to things that need to be monitorable and changeable on short notice that are perhaps non-substantive in the grand scheme of things, but very substantive at the micro level if they're compromised. Whereas on the other hand, uh, longer term changes for things that are uh, grand scheme changes or model-based changes, if that makes sense. So lots of different things from an implementation perspective to get right there. And then separately on the Beanstalk specific side, as opposed to just pure theory on governance, because of the fact that the only way to acquire stock is to deposit value in the silo, how does that factor into things? And the question then becomes, well, what assets can you deposit in the silo? And how much stock and how, how, how many seeds do you get for uh, a bean-denominated value uh, deposit in a given token, right? So there's there's a lot of different things to optimize around for at the moment, and uh, this is probably going to be a longer, a longer multi-week or month discussion before there's any sort of clear answers to what the structure for governance should look like. But uh, just just really starting to to read through the latest uh, Vitalik content, if you will, uh, and, and other commentary on on governance. Uh, that uh, is providing some inspiration for, for perhaps what we should do with Beanstalk. But obviously this is a... I mean, the community is going to have to do a lot of discussion about what makes sense given the goals of Beanstalk to be very flexible and at the same time be permanent. Totally. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of surface area to, to be talked about in the coming months.
So uh, I'll get to Edgar Allen Pizza's question in the chat. Uh, would encourage you know other folks to drop questions in the town hall chat in the meantime. So Edgar Allen Pizza asks, uh, just want to make sure I understand how things move forward. If uh, the barn raise is not filled, all 77 million is not filled before the relaunch. If beans in the pod line vest, do they vest at partial value? What happens as more capital comes in? I think there's a little bit of confusion about how uh, how the barn raise works, but uh, do you want to you want to tackle that one, Publius? Sure. So we would encourage you to to reference all of the long form written material that details all of this explicitly. Uh, but the to answer your some of your questions as best as we can, uh, the the concept is that Beanstalk doesn't need the full 77 million to relaunch. Uh, it could, in theory, restart right now with the $7 million or so that's already in. And how that would work is whenever Beanstalk is unpaused or restarted, whatever you want to call it, the at that point in time, the USDC that has been raised in the barn raise will be matched with newly minted beans. And uh, those newly minted beans will be uh, also paired with they'll either be liquidity or they'll just be deposited beans or circulating beans. And the concept is all of those assets will be distributed pro rata based on stock ownership uh, prior to the attack as unripe LP or unripe beans. And the, those, those unripe assets will start at 0% vested because it's the multiple of the percentage of the fertilizer that has been sold and the percentage of the fertilizer tokens that have been paid back. And in short, the concept is over time, the, the unripe assets will grow further as the barn raise is further capitalized. So let's say the barn raise stops at 10% uh, and there's 90% to go. That means that the unripe assets will only have 10% of the BDV that they had at the time of the attack. And as the, as the barn race continues to fill, that percentage will scale in line with the percent that the barn race fills. And then there's an additional haircut in terms of uh, forfeiture when you, when you claim those ripe assets, or unripe assets, excuse me, uh, based on the amount of the fertilizer that's been paid back. And th those assets, in theory, the supply is zero when it starts. Now, there will be stock and seeds on top of the, the assets that will also scale based on the vesting percent. So if you start at 20%, if the barn raise is filled at 20%, everyone will start with 20% of their stock prior to the attack and 20% of their seeds. And then that will... Uh, increase as the barn raise continues to fill. And the concept is that people will be able to claim and update their stock and seeds to increase their minting. And on the pod side, to answer you explicitly there, the pods will not vest in the same way that the unripe assets will vest. Uh, they will all, the pod line will still be honored in full. Now, as more capital comes in, the vesting, the, the amount of fertilizer that's sold will increase. Therefore, the amount of assets under the unripe uh, LP or unripe beans will increase, and the amount of assets that people can claim if they 
vest will also increase. So hopefully that explains things somewhat. Obviously, it's a pretty complex situation. So again, that's why we reference you to all of the written materials that should lay all of this out. But uh, hopefully that's somewhat instructive. Thanks for going through that. Yeah, I linked uh, to some resources in the channel where folks can read the comprehensive guide. So uh, Scooby had a question. I said he saw the marketplace, pod marketplace, I assume, wasn't in the new UI. Safe to assume that's coming at some point. Um, my understanding is uh, it's in the middle of being designed by Sweet Red Beans, but not sure if you had anything to add there, Publius. Uh, I'm sure it'll be there. At just, uh, yeah, I have no idea on that front about why it's not there at the moment. Probably just didn't make the cut for first push. Yeah. Definitely between now and the, the replant, though. Also, all of the previous orders and stuff are, like, removed, so it's a blank marketplace once again. So uh, that will be a, that will, you know, it'll be a, a fresh market, effectively. Uh, well, my, my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, was that pod listings would still be up and could be canceled upon the replant, but pod orders will be those beans will be redistributed to folks in their unripe state. Uh, I, I'm actually not clear on the listing front, so we'll have to double check on that front. I see Publius is typing, so perhaps he'll, they'll correct me. All right. Uh... JDub asks, previously Beanstalk had used a handful of liquidity pools. What pools will Beanstalk uh, launch with, uh, you know, when we replant? The, and I think JDub's also is kind of curious if replanting is unpausing. So, yeah, I think those, those <laughs> verbs can be used interchangeably. Uh, classic Beanstalk, uh, painful lingo. So, the... Upon restart, the code that was sent to for audit can support uh, a meta pool uh, on curve, which will most likely lend itself to a bean three curve pool, but in theory could be could be another curve meta pool. Uh, the hope would be to shortly thereafter launch other pools like a bean eth pool, but uh, the 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 code that has been sent for audit is to support a curve meta pool. So other than that, uh, the world is our oyster, but it, it'll, it'll likely have to start as a curve meta pool. And that, uh, that snapshot should hopefully be up sometime soon, maybe this week. We will see. Uh, Alex made a comment in the chat. Um, there seems to be confusion around the forwarding of unripe assets. So the, I think the idea, maybe Pulis, you can clarify what I get wrong here, is that only circulating assets can be ripened or vested into their underlying asset. So if you have unripe assets in the silo, you first have, have to withdraw, wait for the withdrawal timer to elapse, and then you can ripen, presumably. And perhaps maybe there will be a way to do that all in one transaction. I'm not sure. So there's, in reality, when Beanstalk relaunches, there will actually be four whitelisted assets. There will be beans, there will be unripe beans, there will be LP tokens for whatever pool is, is chosen for restart, and unripe LP tokens. And the conversion 
in particular, the conversion between uh, deposited unripe assets to circulating deposited assets or circulating assets to deposited unripe assets, that will not change from a user experience perspective. So if you have unripe assets, in theory, you can withdraw them from the silo and they will remain unripe assets. Uh, that doesn't necessarily make sense as efficient behavior, but the concept is what it means to ripen your assets is to, to convert them from unripe assets to their normal state. So from unripe beans to beans or from unripe LP to LP tokens. Uh, when you do that, you forfeit your rights to any future uh, growth under the unripe beans or LP tokens because you're now converting them from unripe beans or unripe LP tokens to normal beans or LP tokens. So the forfeiture of future vesting, let's call it, comes from the fact that you're no longer the owner of the unripe assets. You're converting your, you're ripening your unripe assets into normal assets. So there's no change in what you can do with the unripe assets. Uh, the question is just when do you want to ripen? Got it. Thanks for clarifying. Yeah, regarding, uh, I mean, the unpause replant stuff, I guess technically unpause is like a beanstalk function that has happened in the past. And so my vote would be that unpause is part of the beanstalk replant. But anyway, neither, neither uh, here nor there. Uh, Jadab asks, in the, in the recent write-up you published, uh, great write-up by the way, Publius wrote, there are current inefficiencies in the models in their eyes. Uh, what efficiencies like BIP7 have been most helpful to tighten up the model? What are, your what are the main inefficiencies uh, in your view? So the, there's a couple, a couple obvious ones and then perhaps some less obvious ones. So the obvious ones are that when you're converting, uh, when you were converting LP to beans, the change in the bean-denominated value of the assets during the time that you were in the LP basically made it such that sometimes when you're converting deposited LP to deposited beans, you're actually losing stock net-net, uh, and therefore that makes it unattractive to convert LP to beans, and that's an inefficiency. So that's one, one case, and uh, that's an easy fix. Uh, in fact, I think that fix was included in the code that was sent to the auditors, so hopefully that's something that the community can vote to add to the protocol before even unpause. Uh, but that is one example of an inefficiency that stares at us. Uh, another one is the weather. So you have this weird uh, you have this weird thing where when the weather is at like a couple thousand percent, the three percent interest rate makes changes make a lot of sense. Uh, or at least a lot more sense than if you have the interest rate at 5%, right? If the weather's at 5%, a 3% change in the interest rate is really substantive. So there does need to be some sense of scaling the weather, uh, but how to do that in an efficient way is very tricky and not easy to do. Um, the question of what's an optimal pod rate, uh, that's also unclear. And I mean, those are the ones that kind of stick out stick out obviously. Now, one of the more existential questions is, let's say that Beanstalk is massive 
and the vast majority of decentralized liquidity that it trades against is Ethereum. When the value of Ethereum decreases for whatever reason, that will create some sort of negative feedback loop where the value of Ethereum is decreasing. That creates less liquidity for beans to trade against and perhaps increases the risk profile of beans such that uh, you know you have this weird correlation between beans and Ethereum that you want to avoid. And so the the question is how can you potentially have a diversified but still decentralized set of assets that trade against the protocol? And then the question is, well, can you maybe create like protocol native derivatives that allow people to take unique exposure that's uh, some somewhat of a hedge to Ethereum such that the total value in the system uh, remains remains relatively constant or is delta neutral, let's call it to the price of Ethereum. So that would be that would be one thing. I see a comment in the chat about a weather bidding system. The problem with that is, well, there's not necessarily any bidding system, but you can't have a bidding system where any bid is accepted. Uh, you could have this weather, uh, you still need a, a, a maximum interest rate for the bidding period. And the question is how to change the maximum. So the bidding doesn't necessarily, the bidding can improve the efficiency, but that doesn't affect the, the fact that you do need a maximum every season and how to set that maximum is, that's really the, the inefficiency as far as we're concerned at the moment. But there's also the potential to improve the price that Beanstalk is getting if, if you have a bidding system. I had one follow-up question about something you mentioned earlier. Um, what was the uh, napkin math that you did to get at 15% pod rate being the quote-unquote equilibrium? So I would have to try pretty hard to go find it, but if I recall correctly, uh, it was an analysis that Alexander Hamilton did on the uh, the sustainability of the debt levels in uh, various countries as he's uh, discussing the potential implementation of uh, debt for the American government, uh, for the for the American nation, let's call it, uh, and he suggested I think a twenty five percent debt level was sustainable. And now I'm, now I might be reinventing history here, but we had originally said the optimal pod rate would be twenty five percent. And the excessively uh, uh, the the lower bound would be fifteen percent, and then the upper bound would be thirty five percent. But then, given the the nature of the season of plenty, we basically were like, well, you can't have a season of plenty happen at fifteen percent debt level. So we we chopped everything down by ten percent and made the the upper pod rate the twenty five percent, such that bean stock is either below the sustainable pod rate or above it. Now. Not definitely more art than science there, so this goes to why it could likely further be improved tremendously. But there is also no right answer there because you do need some amount of debt such that people feel like you have a, 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 a reliable credit history. But on the other hand, you need a low enough uh, amount of debt relative to the supply such that whenever shit hits the fan, the system can can scale down appropriately. How would you try to optimize that, given that it's primarily theoretical? Could you repeat that? I don't think I got the question. 
So if you're sitting down and thinking about how do we pick a better equilibrium, I'm just curious, uh, or would be interested to hear you pontificate on how you would actually go about uh, improving that. Given that, so, you know, you can only run Beanstalk once, I guess. Yeah, well, this is... Honestly, I think you'd have to do some pretty sophisticated modeling to the point where I don't know how valuable it is at this point in time, right? So the real question is, you're modeling the amount of debt and how the marginal increase in pod rate affects the expected weather that Beanstalk has to pay. And therefore, what you're trying to do is minimize the circumstances based on expected inflows and outflows of demand for beans, or net demand for beans, let's call it, uh, such that the the change, the marginal change in pod rate is never greater than the change in demand for soil or something like that. But but again, you need more, you need a lot more data as to how people will price weather in order to do anything meaningful on that front. And I, we've in general tried to refrain from doing modeling of that sort because it's kind of ridiculous, particularly in the early stages. So maybe in ten years you'll have enough data, but. Probably not still. Got it. Yeah, there's a lot there, but thanks for, thanks for elaborating. Well, because it's really a behavioral thing, right? How does the market totally. demand soil? So it, you can't really model that reliably. Agreed. All right, so back to the chat. Uh, uh, other Publius clarified from earlier that uh, pod orders in the marketplace will be removed because there were actually beans sitting in there and that those will be distributed as unripe beans, and that pod listings don't have to be removed if the pod line isn't changing at all, and it costs a fee to create a listing, so figured we'd uh, leave them open. Uh, Alex had a follow-up question on the withdrawing unripe assets. He's asked, what does that mean? Is it an NFT or ERC-20 that I can transfer? So my understanding is, yes, unripe assets are ERC-20 tokens that you can transfer. And uh, as Publius mentioned earlier, there'll be four whitelist, whitelist assets in silo at the beginning, the unripe LP token, the LP token, and then likewise with uh, unripe beans and beans. But uh, let me know if there's anything you want to you wanna add there, Publius. I would just then ask, will there be a time, you know, for people to potentially cancel their listings? If, you know, the listing that they were willing to make prior to the attack is no longer, like, will, upon restart, will, will any listing be snipable? Like, how will that work? So that would be my question, if, uh, not sure if Publis is around and can hop up and answer that. You're proposing that maybe there be a preliminary period before the replant? Well, just, you can't, it seems unfair to have these listings that, kind of stuck there like what if or at least stuck there and not have the opportunity to cancel them before they're back live yeah that's fully possible and i do agree that's something we can do the general thought is just not you know pretty positive now kind of i can't hear anything other than it was generally possible can you hear austin uh not quite yeah so <laughs> apologies Totally open to that idea and love that idea. A window of maybe a few days where people can you know, cancel their open listings. 
but generally the idea was that you know every listing post replant is going to be you know every pod are equal to value pre unplant as green stock is down. You know, right, we can't hear you. So this is uh, but but uh, glad to hear that people will be able to have the opportunity to cancel their listings. Uh, but otherwise, very hard to hear what you were saying. Apologies. Yeah, I think Publis was just trying to say that the idea is that uh, a pod post-replant is going to be equal to or less than, or will have a lower value than it did pre-exploit. But, you know, I guess there's just some assumptions there. So perhaps it makes yeah. sense to have a preliminary period to cancel them in advance. Definitely some assumptions there. All right, uh, Ed, from Edgar Allan Pizza, can you talk more about the role of the 77 million fertilizer? I would think if someone pulls their unripe beans before vesting, but then the full fertilizer is raised, there would be some imbalance, but I think that's because I'm not understanding the role of fertilizer. So I do think there is a situation where uh, we raise all the 77 million and then someone forfeits before 100% of it vests, and I think in those cases, the unripe holders assuming they hold until all of it vests, would have a claim to greater than 100% of their pre-exploit assets. But uh, maybe, Pulis, you want to elaborate on that? No, that's exactly right. And also, as Alex pointed out, that if someone uh, ripens their, their unripe assets before they fully, before all of the fertilizer has been sold out, that that decreases the amount of uh, fertilizer that needs to be sold because it's particularly the LP because now there's uh, less liquidity that needs to be replenished. Totally. Yeah. So uh, Edgar Allan Pizza, just to confirm, when you say there would be an imbalance, you're totally correct. And that imbalance would be reflected in everyone else having a greater uh, claim to the underlying vesting assets. All right, would encourage uh, folks to keep dropping questions in the chat, but uh, I actually had one for you, Publis, that I wrote down earlier. Um, could you, I've heard you talk about in a couple AMAs about how inflation affects Beanstalk, and you wrote in that last article you put out that, uh, you know, inflation of the dollar is a tailwind for Beanstalk. The, the main way I imagine that being is that the real, real value of its obligations, like the pod line, uh, decreases, but in what other ways uh, does it, affect or help beanstalk? So the outstanding bean supply, uh, given that it's denominated in dollars, or the goal of beanstalk is to maintain their value uh, denominated in dollars, the fact that the value of dollars is decreasing dramatically uh, in real time is the definition of a tailwind for the system because it is able to uh, like the it's outstanding i don't know if you want to call them liabilities but you can uh the liabilities are decreasing in real terms and the the question is well what would that be reflected in it would probably be reflected in an increase in the price of ethereum for example such that if the same amount of ethereum stayed in the liquidity pools trading against beans the value in those pools would increase and the bean supply might have to increase to meet it unless you had uh, sell pressure, right? So one of the tailwinds of the system, both in terms of 
uh, new demand in the form of liquidity prices increasing and potentially uh, providing liquidity for people to sell because the value of the liquidity is increasing as well. That's a tailwind from a lot of different angles for the system. If you're going to peg to a like the hardest asset of all, which is Bitcoin, uh, that's a little bit harder to see whether the the same model can can sustain itself. It's possible, uh, but it's it's harder to it's harder to see that working in an as robust fashion as uh, a dollar denominated beanstalk where its liabilities are decreasing constantly. At what stage do you think it would be appropriate to start? I guess trying to issue uh, have beanstalk issue other assets. Well, like on the order of years from now, or yeah, I'm just curious to hear you think uh, riff on that. I mean, on the one hand, the original white paper was written such that there would we thought there would be just different beanstalk, uh, so like a BTC bean beanstalk and a separate beanstalk for different assets. But over time, we realized the network effect of the credit history of the single bean stock. And so it's really, it's hard to imagine having two bean stock that have the same model, but different pegged assets. I mean, they could compete with one another in theory, but it almost makes more sense for them to just be issued by the same bean stock from a network effect perspective and leverage the same credit history as opposed to compete for lenders. And in that instance, it would really just be up to the doubt when to do that. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of questions. What asset is it pegged to? Uh, What is the future expected movement of price of that asset compared to the assets that are available to trade against uh, in, in, in liquidity pools? I think an, an ETH pegged bean is, is maybe the most interesting thought experiment to run through because uh, you, 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 you have a lot of ETH to trade against it. Uh, and then your, your price movements are kind of captured in the price of Ethereum. So you have this pool where it trades against ETH and it's just one to one. It's an interesting, that's probably the most interesting one to think through. BTC is a little bit harder to think through because you don't have Bitcoin on Ethereum. You have wrapped Bitcoin, and that introduces some some frictions uh, in terms of the cost of liquidity uh, as well as the available supply of liquidity. And I mean, the real question is just what is the 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 purchasing power of these obligations, right? So the the purchasing power is the issue. It's like how much purchasing power is the credit of Beanstalk uh, going to guarantee or try to guarantee uh, and the as the purchasing power of issued assets or, or the I guess the, the pe- issued the assets that have been issued what they're pegged to that increases the liability of the credit system so the goal the goal would be to minimize liability as much as possible, which is why being pegged to an asset like the dollar that is collapsing in value is uh, easier to do than being pegged to something like Bitcoin. Gotcha. Appreciate you humoring me there. So th- uh, there seems to be a couple, there's a couple comments in the town hall chat about um, 
I guess what happens when you ripen and the nature of the forfeited assets. Uh, Edgar Allan Pizza says, real question left, I guess, is if unripe beans are lost and we lower, do we lower the amount of available fertilizer in real time? So the, if unripe LP is forfeited, given that fertilizer recapitalizes pre-exploit liquidity, that would be a case where the amount of fertilizer sold could go down. But my understanding is that when unripe beans are forfeited or ripened, uh, the number, the amount of fertilizer doesn't change, but unripe bean holders have a greater and greater share of the underlying vesting beans. Is that right, Bugulis? Correct. Cool. And I think that's uh, made clear in the in the barn raise guide, but if not, definitely shoot me a note. Uh, and then Alex says, if fertilizer is sold out, then someone can no longer take a haircut. At the bottom, he says, you can skip this. No, oh, no need to yeah, discuss yeah. <laughs> Okay. Good catch. Shout out, Alex. Appreciate it. All right. Oh, go ahead. No, it's going to say man, uh, Mr. Manifold with the uh, the bean sprout tweet. It's a good one. Well, I had one more question, uh, if nothing else. So I'll go ahead and shoot. Um, I was curious to hear you talk about what the first couple weeks of, of Beanstalk looked like, like pre-September pump and dump. Were you spoon feeding Beanstalk on both sides, like silo deposits and sowing? And when was it clear that someone else had found Beanstalk and had started interacting with it? So th that's a great question. The Basically, even the first day, uh, the Sunrise bot, uh, the Sunrise call started getting botted by like MEV bots. And so we had like this really horrible problem where, you know, we had to pay like $100 an hour out of pocket uh, or, or more because if we didn't call the Sunrise function early enough, uh, it would, you know, whenever we would call it, the bot would, would beat would would MEV the call and then just dump the beans and so really we we from a very early uh, period of time we're kind of like you know I don't know if spoon feeding it but it's like bleeding out where you're just, there's this cost to run the system very early on and so basically due to the nature of having this high cost and we had no real monetary backing we were like the runway for the system was like day to day we literally we didn't have the money we were, we were like pretty you know we were broke two of us had just graduated college more or less and one of i didn't even graduate so it's not like we had lots of money behind this thing we had no backing so we basically immediately tried to tell people anyone that would listen about this thing and i think within like within maybe a, a week or so there was some exogenous demand. It's unclear where any of it was coming from. Uh, but like there was a lot of activity that we couldn't necessarily tell who it was. And like, then, was, the, was the Twitter up or the Telegram up at this point? The... How was it being communicated? I don't even know if there was a Twitter. Uh, or a, I don't think there was a Twitter. I don't. Rem I think the Telegram group that currently exists got started in early 
September, maybe like first week of September. So there was a, there was like a, maybe a two week period where it wasn't on Telegram and then it switched to Telegram. And once it was on Telegram, things kind of got out of our hands generally. Uh, and, you know, mid-September then it was all out of, uh, it, you know, the pump and dump really took things out of control. But I think there was only like maybe 10 days uh, immediately after the restart where it was, um, it was like, really had to be coddled and we were pulling like 24-7 like making sure someone was always awake to call the sunrise and you know pretty quickly it just started to run by itself because of these MEV bots that's pretty awesome and a good story Najak says assuming you told Mike early on assuming he's <laughs> alluding to no regrets this is funny. I think I sent Novo the white paper in like like an early draft of the white paper in May. Wow. Um and I don't I assume he never read it, but uh <laughs> you know, it's one of those like you got to there were like probably like 5 people I told about it and I don't think any of them took it seriously. So, uh I don't know if the jokes on me or jokes on them, but uh fun stuff. Did they realize it when, uh, when it was taking off in March and April? <laughs> I, I got some calls after the attack making sure I was okay. Actually, one of them was like, wait, was it, you weren't behind Beanstalk, were you? I was like, dude, what are you talking about? I sent you the white paper. So, uh, you know, that, it's fun stuff. But frankly, uh, you know, I'm kind of like a hermit, so it's not like I have that many people I was, uh, felt compelled to share it with, unless you, like... The only reason to share it with someone was if they, they like, I felt like an obligation to them because they got me into crypto or they taught me something and it's like, you know, paying you back basically. But no, otherwise, you had to find Beanstalk for yourself. Yeah. I tried to get my high school econ per, uh, teacher who like totally inspired me my freshman year to buy it, but uh, no dice there. Were they in crypto? <laughs> no, no, not at all. So yeah, it took like, I would have been I spent surprised. like hours and hours trying to explain it, but uh, whatever. Fun stuff. Indeed. All right. Uh, looks like North has a question. Was there a specific reason to use the Uniswap pair versus Sushi or some other decks? Well, the short answer is liquidity. Uh, and at the time, the USDC ETH pool on Uniswap was uh, the most liquid and had the deepest depth, if I recall correctly. Well, we're at the bottom of the, the town hall chat. Um, maybe I'll pause for just a few months in case folks want to squeeze a couple more questions in. Um, and then if not, we can wrap up.
Uh, Sir Dumpling asks, what silver linings to the exploit do you see moving forward? Well, it's tough, right? The goal is to always look at things as glass half full. I think the most, the most obvious silver lining is that the fact that this problem existed meant that at some point it was going to be exploited. And the fact that Beanstalk was growing so quickly, you know, the silver lining is that sooner rather than later is when you want, when you want something like that to, to actually happen, if it's going to happen. And so to some extent, Beanstalk got off kind of cheap. Now, the other silver lining is that going forward, uh, there should be a very high focus on governance and security, which is, in addition to the novel economics of Beanstalk, very clearly something that it will have to be a leader on uh, within, within the space. And that's cool. And we, we have an incredible down community here that I think is up to the challenge to, to answer some of these really hard problems. Uh, another silver lining is there's a lot more eyes and ears and recognition on, on Beanstalk. I, uh, I was reading an article put out by, uh, I think it was Nydig, and Beanstalk is referenced uh, as, you know, it's referenced in the context of a hack. But it's like the fact that, that this is a name that everyone now recognizes and is being cited everywhere, that's definitely a silver lining. So we wish... Uh, it was it was uh, recognizable for better reasons, but we're betting on 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 a longer term horizon that will, that will be the case. Agreed. All right, Manifold asks: uh, Does Beanstalk want to raise uh, the barn raise? Or sorry, <laughs> does Beanstalk want to fill you know sell all seventy seven million fertilizer? I guess for, you know kind of the context is before the the replant, I guess. The Beanstalk doesn't want anything. Uh, now, in terms of what's likely to create more or less volatility, the, because of the nature of the vesting, which is a, the, I think before I said it was the minimum, but I actually think it's the multiple of the fertilizer that's been sold and the fertilizer that's been paid back. And the concept is regardless, upon restart, there will be no supply, independent of how much of the fertilizer has been sold. However, because it's the multiple of the two, the question is over a certain amount of minting, how quickly will all of that supply actually get minted? And so at a smaller barn raise percent, the, the, the supply that you're going to have in absolute terms, it's going to be smaller. So in theory, it's kind of like the system will be operating at a smaller scale, which isn't necessarily better or worse. It's probably better to start a little bit smaller, all else being equal. Uh, that was one of the nice things of the, the launch with 100 bean supply. But on the other hand, uh, if you're too small and there's a significant amount of excess demand, you could have uh, too much growth in a period of time, which leads to a lot of downside volatility. So there's no, there's no right answer in terms of what Beanstalk wants, but it doesn't have a problem if, if there's no, you know, no additional fertilizer sold beyond what's already been sold. Beanstalk could, could relaunch and, and be perfectly uh, fine in theory. Like there wouldn't be any, any issues from Beanstalk's perspective if it, if it raised more uh, or even less than it did right now. So no, Beanstalk doesn't want anything. 
yeah, a few things to, to consider uh, in both scenarios. Uh, RG asks, do you have any comment on the whale that bought almost $5 million in, the fertil uh, in fertilizer? No. And in particular, I just want, as we started this call, our uh, class, going forward, we're, we're, we're going to try not to comment on, on any capital, basically, whatsoever. That's not a role we want in the community. All right, I see a couple folks typing. I'll wait and see. Uh, Nasjak's raising his hand. Let's see. What's up, Nasjak? I didn't have to type it all out. I beat everybody. <laughs> um, so. Vital so I wanted to, I'm not sure if this, I only caught the first or the last half of this uh, call, but Vitalik wrote that piece on stable coins uh, like two weeks ago. And one of his comments was like the wind down scenario. So I'm not saying like if Bean can go back to like 100 beans, but say the market cap is like 200 mil, could Bean go back like sustainably to like 100 mil? Like are there mechanics to reduce supply that much while keeping price $1 or something? Yes. So, so if anything, to, in my, I think the question is not whether Beanstalk can sustain a decrease in demand of 50% or 70% or 80% uh, for a time or for a significant period of time. The question is a full wind down, right? That seems to be the question that was posed by Vitalik. And yeah. the full wind down or the requirement of a full wind down is something that by definition without collateral and being over collateralized or at least uh, completely collateralized is basically impossible and so the it's hard to yeah it's it's a little bit tricky to know yeah it's a uh, Ultimately, the full wind down is not something that Beanstalk can support. If there's no demand for credit and the price of a bean collapses to zero, that's going to be that's an ugly situation in which there will be significant value lost and destroyed. Now, in terms of in a full wind down, how much liquidity is there? That's where you get into the upper limit of 100% of the beans that exist can have like $1 a value, whatever they're pegged to a value uh, in liquidity, such that the BDV of the system is 2x if x is the bean supply. So if you have x in exogenous value and you have 2x in BDV, then in theory, on average, people are going to get 50 cents on the dollar back in a full wind down. Now, it's unclear what the, what, what the 50 cents on the dollar actually is distributed by right there may be in a full wind down there's a benefit to leaving earlier whereas if it's not a full wind down there's a cost to leaving earlier right so if anything there's a question of is it a full wind down or not uh i think the full wind down is the epitome of a collapse right so it's like it's the main question of is beanstalk collapsing or not now the system is designed such that even at 20 cents if the bean price is at 20 cents 
the system may not be collapsing as much as it's just flushing out weak hands and people that are willing to sell their bean obligations for less than a dollar. Um, but there's also some uh, something that seems to be glossed over regularly is the concept of, and I don't actually know the terms to describe it particularly well, which is makes it difficult to describe well, but the concept is that there can be demand for beans, but that it's not necessarily new demand for beans. And this is enabled by convert, right? So you can have, if you have people that are in the silo and somebody sells their beans and now the price is below a dollar, you can have somebody that converts that, their LP to beans and returns the price to a dollar. Now, in practice, they did buy beans, right? So they increased the demand for beans. But on the other hand, the, the capital that they had already, even if not explicitly 100% beans because it was half beans, the, the profile of a deposited LP token from a risk return perspective is very similar to beans themselves. And so the question is, it, you know, you have exposure to beans that is decreasing, but demand for beans that is increasing. And, or, well, maybe you have the exposure to beans that is staying the same from the people that are staying in the silo. Someone decreases their exposure to beans, so you have a net decrease in overall exposure. But because someone is willing to increase the bean portion of their bean exposure, which again is very similar, that that actually covers the decrease in demand for beans. So to answer your kind of the question that you asked explicitly, Nasdaq, about the 200 million down to 100 million, well, if there needs to be, if you have 200 million beans that decrease to 100 million beans, you can do that if the protocol borrows 100 million beans from the market. But maybe Beanstalk doesn't need to borrow 100 million beans from the market if the demand, this is the thing, right? You're saying, well, demand decreases from 200 million beans to 100 million beans. Sort of by that definition, that means Beanstalk has to borrow the 100 million beans from the supply to return them to a dollar, if you're talking about overall demand. But if you're talking about exposure, demand for exposure to beans, well, then you could have that exposure go from, call it 200 million, which is where Beanstalk was before. It had like 200 million in BDV to 108 million bean supply. You could have that go down to 100, and you could, you could have uh, the whole you could have the system remain at a dollar where now you just have less non-bean liquidity and more beans, right? So it's uh, still working through the best terminology to describe this, but hopefully, you know, we're, we're being somewhat clear as to, as to the differences here in, in overall demand versus exposure to beans per se. Yeah, I'll definitely, I'll definitely have to listen to that again on the podcast. Um, maybe a, a similar question is like, does this kind of indicate that maybe there needs to be another way to burn bean supply? Like, I don't know, maybe you burn beans and you get more stock than just depositing liquidity. Some, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly how it would work, but another way to reduce bean supply. Uh, I wouldn't think that that would be implied by any of these comments. Cool, thanks. All right, we're at the hour, but there's one more question, and then we can uh, go ahead and wrap up. But uh, 
a, a meta question from Dumpling. Uh, th there was a question in general a few times about why the humidity didn't uh, decline during this pre-replant barn raise uh, period. Do you want to comment on that? Yeah, th this is most similar to like the bidding period, if you will, uh, which I guess also had a bonus to it. So there's something to be said for having a bonus to bid early. The short answer is this was a, I think economically, it'd be better to have some sort of incentive to participate slightly earlier. But in the grand scheme of things, the goal here was to create like one set of terms that could be easily marketed uh, to potential uh, larger investors. And, you know, that, that, that would have been much more difficult. The whole point was the original barn raise was too complicated. So there was the, the thought of introducing some sort of OTC version, and then that evolved to being back towards a public version, but we still wanted to retain the OTC aspect of it. So there was this economic inefficiency introduced uh, in, in effect to make it such that there was this single class that, that was easy to, to explain to people. Makes sense. Awesome. Well, why don't we go ahead and call it there? I think that was another successful instance of Beanstalk University. I think uh, the Thursday DAO update in AMA will happen uh, I think at 12 central time this time to allow some folks from Europe to participate. You can check the uh, time in your time zone on Discord. But otherwise, uh, thanks for, OK. Well, Mod has one more question. Uh, why don't, why don't we do it? He asks, uh, doesn't the unwind question uh, apply only to collateralized assets, not anything that adds value? How do you unwind Ethereum or Bitcoin? Well, that's, that's a loaded question, Mod. Um, I mean, here you get into sort of some larger questions about where does the value of Bitcoin or Ethereum derive from? And in the same way that Beanstalk, even though it l runs on Ethereum, uh, it's meant to be its own system, uh, its own sort of where, where money and the value is created endogenously. Uh, that is, I would probably agree with you that that framework doesn't really apply. So the whole concept here is to create an endogenous uh, source of value as opposed to an exogenous one, even though in practice the ex endogenous source uh, of value comes from the liquidity uh, that trades against beans, which is exogenous value. So this is actually where you have a really nice marriage between Ethereum, which is looking for, for, for holders, right? It's looking for economic uses that, that require the holding of Ethereum, uh, that's where Beanstalk and Ethereum have a really potential nice uh, harmonious relationship in the grand scheme of things. But uh, that does go back to the larger existential question uh, that we raised around, well, what happens if the value of Ethereum starts to decrease significantly compared to the value of uh, beans and, and Ethereum is the main source of liquidity that beans trade against. So some interesting, uh, some interesting thought, thought exercises are, are, can, can be had there for sure. All right. Uh, well, why don't we go ahead and call it there? Uh, we'll see you all 
Thursday and hopefully for next week's class on Tuesday. Uh, thanks, Bubis, and thanks for coming, everyone.